Welcome to the Operate Intelligently podcast, the podcast for all things operations. Hello, Operate Intelligently listeners. This is a first for me, Joshua Peach, your host. I am sitting in a Target parking lot looking at two longtime uh, friends of mine who are also in uh, the education field, uh, looking at uh, Ken Wirtz, giving me the thumbs up. Ken is the Massachusetts Facilities Administrators Association Executive Director. He helps all school districts in the state of Massachusetts, everything operations uh, related. And next to him in his car is Dr. John Marcus, the superintendent of schools from Stoughton Public Schools in Stoughton, Massachusetts. And uh, really glad to have both you guys on here. This is kind of funny. We're sitting, uh, we're going to put some pictures on social media, but there's three cars, uh, socially distant enough uh, with, with our windows up and dialed into a Zoom recording to do this podcast. We, we wanted to do something fun, and I always like to look at folks when I'm talking to them. So welcome, guys. Thanks for sitting in your cars for a few minutes. You guys are here. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Josh. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. This is awesome. This, Josh, and so many other reasons why I love you so much. Whenever either of us have a stupid idea, the other one's like, yep, we should do that. Right? Yeah, why yeah, why have a conference call in our own houses separated by 15 miles when we can just sit and look at each other on a conference call? Well... You know, and there's this thing called video on Zoom, and we we uh, we bypass that, and we're just sitting in our cars. So this is this is cool. Quite honestly, sometimes. it makes me it makes uh, me feel John, better. Sometimes listening to the sultry sounds of you and Kenny is really all that people need. They they don't need the visual; they just need that smooth, soft voice of Joshua Peach singing to us in a nightly. It's like David Allen Boucher. Yeah. It is like David Allen yeah, Boucher, nighttime magic, I, I Joshua try. Peach. <laughs> I try. Well, you know, I called you guys and asked you for a favor, and uh, this is around coronavirus. First thing I want to talk about, uh, schools are closed, the cleaning processes and what people are doing, staffing levels, all everything is all over the board. Ken, you know, what are you seeing out there? Uh, from your members and from schools, is there any standardized processes that are in place, any best practice? So um, Massachusetts, all the schools are closed. Um, as far as cleaning, there's really no guidance or no straight direction as to what is the current best practice as far as staffing. Um, we have a message board for our members on MFAA, and the question was po- you know, put out there, what are people doing? And the problem we had is it's not really a problem because this thing is so fluid and changes day to day. Some districts are keeping their cleaners in and they're cleaning and disinfecting. Other districts are sending their people home and saying, when school opens up, we're gonna bring our teams back in a week before and clean and disinfect again. So it's kind of a mixed bag right now. The big thing that we're, we're pushing and the message we're trying to tell people is just like healthcare, sanitize in, sanitize out. You wash your hands before you go to work. You wash your hands before you touch your face. You wash your hands before you eat lunch. You wash your hands on your way home. Sanitize, sanitize, and clean before you disinfect uh, because there's a lot of misinformation out there about cross-contamination or not misinformation, just lack of information. You know, I try to give people examples. Like I I was at my barber 
uh, right before everyone was quarantined out. And I was trying to educate her on cross-contamination. I said, all right, so you know the brush that you wipe off the back of people's necks with? Well, mm. that's connecting everyone with each other. So use your hair dryer to blow off the hair and tell them, sorry. It's like, what do I do about beards? I'm like, you shouldn't do shaves. You shouldn't do beards. It's too, it's too this. It's too that. But while you're working and cutting someone's hair, you don't pick up the phone and then go back to cutting your hair. Because while you're washing your hands, you're not disinfecting your phone. Right. right. So now you answering that phone has given me cross-contamination from the persons whose hair you were cutting before me. Mm -hmm. And it's simple little things like that. So in your schools, it's touch points, it's hardware, it's light switches. And John can talk more about it because, you know, from the data end of things, keyboards, that's the big thing now, and mice and all that kind of stuff. There have been some creative solutions. Um, Paul Anastasi is currently working with the Northbridge schools. And uh, the team there decided to go uh, golf course on their elementary school athletic department. And they mm -hmm. created this giant ball washer where they would take all the kickballs, all of the balls that never, ever, ever get washed, and they dunked them in a cleaning, neutral cleaning and a disinfectant solution. And then they cleaned every kickball and every play ball that they're using in the elementary schools. Very creative. But mm -hmm. it's things like that that we tend to forget about but even if we forget about those, the current virus, from what I've read and what I've researched, can only live on a surface for up to 72 hours. So if we close the buildings for two, three, four weeks, the virus that's in the building will be dead. The problem is the first person that comes in that doesn't know that they have the virus and they touch something, the building's recontaminated. And that's right. where it gets really tricky. It, it, you, can, you can clean and scrub and deep clean and disinfect as much as you want. The minute we unload the buses, there's kids coming in the buildings, teachers coming in the buildings that are bringing their own stuff with them. So you have to be cautious about that. I think to yeah. that point, we, uh, we, we made a decision to basically clean and disinfect everything and then shut all the buildings down. So we're kind of doing that now, recognizing that, you know, w when we reopen, we're reopening back to humans again and we humans carry germs. But Right. In the meantime, um, in order to sort of be 100% sure that we've covered everything, we have our crews going through and doing deep cleaning, electrostatic cleaning, all of that uh, in all of the buildings. And once the areas are done, classroom is done or an area is done, we're tagging it and saying this area is done and is now closed off. So our essential employees who are coming in, our kitchen workers, uh, some of our administrators, when they come in, they're not allowed to go into any of those uh, areas because we know that they've already been taken care of. So that's that, that's that been our plan. And I think the question really then becomes, uh, once we get all of that done, and it's not going to take us more than a couple of weeks, um, then where do we go from there? You know, right. do we mm -hmm. ha have the custodians keep coming in? Uh, you know, a lot of places have basically said to their um, administrators and secretaries, you need to stop coming in. And we've slowly scaled back day after day uh, to the point where we have just a bare skeleton crew of people coming in. But um, there's going to come a point where we don't have anybody coming in. Right. Uh, so, so just, and, and it's funny that I just had a conversation with uh, Lynn Shabra from Maya. Maya is the insurance carrier for over 550 municipality, you know, town halls, police stations, fire stations, schools in Massachusetts. 
And their guidance right now is run a skeleton crew, but still have people coming in to do spot checks on your buildings. Mm -hmm. Because what, what we're seeing, they just had a major loss out in Western Mass where uh, a valve for a water main let go on a third floor, hmm. flooded out the entire you know second and first floor, millions of dollars hmm. worth of damage. It wasn't that the building froze up. It's just that it just happened that there was a mechanical failure. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that we have to, as this thing continues to progress, we still need to make sure we're checking our buildings. We're walking through. Do you have a dedicated person? Do they know what they're looking for? Are you, you know, the, the doors that you marked closed, John, are they still peeking in there to see if there was a freeze up, if there was something, hopefully winter's done. So freeze up should be going away. But the other thing to remember, because we don't know how long this is going, our new buildings are super, super tight. And, and Josh, you know, we're, we're talking to everyone across the country here humidity is a major major issue so if you're mm -hmm. going to go in and shut down your buildings and try and save energy and shut down heating systems and shut everything off in the world you're going to create a moisture issue in your building then you'll be combating you know coronavirus and mold right so we have to be cautious about what we're scaling back what we're shutting off and and what we think might be the best intentions to try and save energy well the building's not occupied so we should just shut everything off that seems mm -hmm. to make sense at first until you start peeling back the layers a little bit and, and the new highly sophisticated buildings need air exchange, you know, mm -hmm. for the, for the, the states that are in, in air conditioning weather, you know, if you're down in Georgia, facilities directors down there, no, we can't shut the AC off. Right. It'll, it'll be a swamp inside. You can scale it back, but you have to have that hit that tipping point where you adjust it based off your humidity inside. It's yeah. a really, it's a, there's a lot of discussions and as this moves, you know, right here in new England right now, we're in that weird spring month time where it's, you know, it's, it's nice enough that we could shut the heat off, mm -hmm. but is that really the best practice? Yeah. And, and on that, when we talk about occupancy and one of the things that is, I think, overlooked by a lot of folks today is, you know, the schools are closed for the foreseeable future. Let's just say it's two, three, four, five weeks. One of the things that's often overlooked, but I think every single school district has to do this right now is provide free and reduced meals for kids that, that can't have, can't eat otherwise, basically. Um, John, I heard you're doing a fantastic job with, with regard to that and your team's really stepped up and doing some phenomenal uh, things to make sure that uh, no one goes hung hungry in Stoughton. Um, mm. How hard was that to implement? How quick did you implement it? And then how does that all fall into the fold in the management of the, of the buildings? Again, like you said, you close all the buildings so, you know, are you making the meals in one, one kitchen in the district and how did you choose that kind of the, what's your best practice on that? Cause I've heard great things. That's a great question. I think we, um, to answer the first part, we began immediately. Uh, we're a district, we have about 40% free and reduced uh, income families. And uh, because of that, uh, we have a summer feeding program that actually uh, works through the USDA and allows us to feed any child uh, who lives in Stoughton. Uh, we uh, were given permission or given guidance that the summer feeding program concept is where we're gonna go. And therefore that immediately took out some of those uh, kind of difficult restrictions to get around uh, in terms of who we're feeding and how we're doing it. So we right away, um, got uh, all the food stuff that we had ready for last week for this week uh, in place and 
had uh, kitchen workers coming in if they were comfortable and they felt okay. Uh, using social distancing, we had people at stations uh, that were more than six feet apart. They were sort of putting stuff together and uh, bagging everything up. And then we were going out and uh, setting everything up outside of buildings. Uh, and people were driving up in cars and we, you know, just asked how many kids they had and then dropped uh, bags of, of lunches and breakfasts and milks uh, into the passenger side and, and stepped away. So we've continued to sort of modify that um, as we've gone along to uh, keep the distancing that much, uh, that much better. Uh, but we also know that starting next week, we're going to see an uptick in the amount of people we're serving. So the first day, we probably served uh, about 200 kids. Uh, it stayed steady until today, Friday, when we uh, uh, jumped up to about uh, 400. And we're expecting that come Monday, Tuesday, uh, as the time goes on, that we're going to be up into the five, six, seven hundred range. And so we're trying to not only scale up our production, uh, but also minimize our staff uh, needed in order to be able to do that. So where everybody is amazing and wants to help. And we had, you know, the first few days, we probably had 15 or 20 people uh, at our different sites uh, and enthusiastic and, and, and all that helping everybody out. We've now uh, realized that we can do it with far fewer people and have um, scaled that back to about six people total uh, in one site uh, and then deliveries uh, that are going to be launched from that one site uh, out to neighborhoods. And, and how do you know, you know, you said you started this week at 200. Did, did you anticipate four or 500 or do, do people have to, you know, call in ahead of time? Like, how does that all work? That's a great question. We anticipated exactly what you said. We anticipated around four or 500 and um, we're surprised that we didn't get that many the first, the first couple of days. Um, so, uh, we set up and we were ready to go for that many, uh, most of the things that we were putting out there, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, ham sandwiches, things like that, were all refrigerated. We're easy to, you know, to, um, to keep for the next day. Uh, but knowing what we had done that first day and how many we had, we scaled back on the second day and started making fewer sandwiches, um, uh, caught us today a little bit um, having to scramble, but we've also worked with vendors who are doing pre-packaged or pre-made sandwiches. Uh, and so those are coming in frozen and it's easy to then just send them uh, home with kids, either frozen or uh, thawed, you know, but not as many as we would have um, thawed earlier. So we're ready to go with that in, uh, in that scenario. Wow. And that, that key point that you stated was that, that, which was one of my questions, which was, I mean, you're doing a stop and drop, you're putting the stuff outside. So again, there's no contamination coming in, um, limited, uh, limited to no interaction socially with anybody that's working on the front lines, making the food or cleaning the buildings and the people that are coming to pick up the food, which I think is key. Uh, Cause I have seen and heard a couple of folks that said that the, that parents are actually going inside the buildings, which is, you know, it's just adding the amount of work that you guys need to do. And it also compromises the space. And, you know, when somebody walks into a building, it's hard, doesn't matter how many cameras you have. Um, it's really hard to track and see all the different places that they could touch, sneeze, cough, 
or put something. Um, so it's just a, an added challenge. So your buildings are, are locked down other than, you know, that staff and faculty and they just come outside. You have a table set up or something or. Yeah, we've got a, um, it's basically, uh, uh, like a giant McDonald's pickup line. We've got it in front of our middle school. So we've got probably, uh, about a thousand foot long driveway so we can have cars queue up and we've got about, uh, right now we've got two, but I think we'll be up to about four tents, four 10 by 10 tents, uh, set up along that pathway. Uh, and basically people pull up, we've got everything set in either sets of four or sets of two. So we just are calling out to the window, how many kids, uh, they tell us four family of five or whatever it is. We just, you know, hand them bags of four, uh, sets of four sets of two plus uh, any produce that we have. So we've been handing out tons of bananas and apples and uh, lettuce, anything we have in the fridge. Um, and uh, it's just grab and go, as you say. Uh, yeah. the, the next uh, adventure is really going to be supporting those families who can't get to us. Um, mm -hmm. And how do we get to them uh, in uh, neighborhoods where we know there's a, a higher level of need uh, mm -hmm. Do we have sort of drop-off points and things like that? And we've been uh, wrestling with that quite a bit. You know, we have buses um, who are uh, contracted for the full school year. So we've got drivers and buses ready to go. And we were all set with that concept until we realized that we're going to have a bus go into a parking lot or a neighborhood. Uh, and, you know, here's the, here are the lunch, the lunch people show up and we're going to have a congregation of 20, 30, 40 people waiting for their lunches. And so we had to kind of put that whole idea on hold and come up with something that is a little more small scale and relies on neighbors helping neighbors, you know, sort of reaching out and saying, you know, what couple of families can you connect to? So more of like a, a spider web or a tree chart than a single point of, of drop where lots of people are coming. Yeah. It's interesting that, I, that I've heard some communities, what they're doing, uh, um, the maintenance crew is actually driving their maintenance trucks mm -hmm. with prepackaged food in the back to these, like like an apartment uh, development, where you know there's a, a large catchment of, uh, of kids who are free and reduced. And they'll set up times like, all right, 10 o'clock, we're going to be at the corner, we're going to put out, you know, 50 bags of food, people come and, and grab your bags of food. So I've seen some people leveraging their maintenance department with their pickup trucks, to make those little local things and establishing a time frame and telling people keep your social distancing do your thing but we're going to have food here at 10 o'clock from 10 to 10 15 the truck is going to be here and then from 11 to 11 15 it's going to be at another site and they've they've done a pretty good job of scheduling it i know the maintenance team are running a little bit ragged with it all um it's a lot to ask and a lot to do um but they're willing for the challenge so as long as they can stay healthy you know, that seems to be a successful option that people have looked at, you know, taking advantage of the people that are going to be in your buildings anyway, those critical mm -hmm. staff yeah. and, you, and kind of balancing it that way. You, you actually um, helped me with my next kind of question or discussion uh, topic, which is when all this stuff happened, I have to claim, um, I don't know if it's ignorance or what it was, but when all this stuff happened and the governor closed all the schools in Massachusetts and to say we aren't doing a mandatory, mandatory close until um, whatever the date was. My immediate brain went to, wow, think about all the PM work that these, these maintenance and operations guys are going to be able to do. Think about all of the 
projects that typically get done in the summer. And that stuck with me for probably a good 24, 48 hours. And then uh, afterwards, I, I realized that they're not able to get that work done. They're, no. they're, they're not allowed, you know, and in many cases, they're not allowing vendors that do that work into the buildings. What, yeah, what are you that's... seeing and what are you hearing about that? Well, I mean, look at right now, you know, uh, mayor, the mayor of Boston shut down all construction projects in Boston. Right. So everyone that's working out of the Boston local, you know, all the carpenters, all the tradespeople, they're not working because you can't accomplish the job by still maintaining that social distancing. So I think, like, Josh, you made a you yeah. made a really good point about the 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 timing of all of this and the fact that whenever that was, it wasn't even a week ago that right. we were all like, I mean, I had the exact same thought, you know, oh, all right, well, we can't have all these kids in. We have to have social distancing, but you, we can have the elevator guy come in or we can have the, you know, um, the, the work that we were going to do on that particular room or office happen. Uh, and then you start to realize that a we've sealed off those rooms. B the governor is coming in, or whoever the different representatives are saying, nope, you got it. You can't do that. You can't do that. And so every day for me, I feel like as a superintendent, we think we have, we know what we're doing. We have the plan, and then it ratchets up another another step, and you have to say, nope, can't do that. Scale it back, um, and that's gone for everything from our kids and how they're coming to school to um, uh, maintenance of the buildings to our food service every day something changes or or ratchets up a little bit that we have to shift our whole way of thinking and the amount of that that's been going on for the last couple of weeks is is i think for me as an educational leader the most unnerving that that we we feel like we've got it we've made a good decision i've worked with my teams of uh, administrators or facility director or whoever they are come up with a great plan and then honestly stand up from that meeting you know with the kind of football like okay break here we go and then you five seconds later it's like whoops nope nope that's not going to happen so then that's i think the biggest challenge for a lot of us right now is the constant um, shifting of the playing field and and how to keep maneuvering in a space that keeps changing on us right and it's it's how to deal with the information that you're provided with which makes those decisions you know you're doing the you're doing the best you can with the information you're provided at that time and there's so much misinformation out there right now as well that you really have to be cautious um so I know that, you know, NEMA, the Massachusetts Emergency Management Association and the governor are having conference calls. Governor just had a, you know, his daily update with what's going on with COVID. It's, it's really hard to keep your, your, your finger on the pulse because it changes so damn fast. Like John said, um, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were at, a, we, MFA had a meeting. We had 50 people. It was before all this stuff happened. And I'm like, uh, right. should we be doing this? What's going on here? As I was doing a panel presentation on coronavirus, the governor made a declaration that all schools would be closed and you can't have meetings of over 100 people. During the meeting I was in, we thought that we were doing the right thing, trying to teach people about you know, coronavirus, teach people about cross-contamination, do all that stuff. Real time, 
comes on the on on the uh, on the TV that you know the governor says no more meetings of this size. Oh, great! Well, there you go. So we've just endangered mm-hmm. two hundred people at this event. Right. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it it happened so fast. I mean, I I went to uh, Maryland uh, last Wednesday, and I spoke to uh, a school district's MNO staff. Um, for in the morning and got on the plane. And by the time I touched down in North Carolina, I got word that the governor there closed every school in Maryland for a couple of weeks. And then uh, that night, Wednesday night, we had a, uh, we had uh, the president came on and said, Hey, there's no flying in, uh, you know, Europe and, and uh, effective Friday. And then by the time I got home Thursday night, everything was shut down in uh, Massachusetts. Right. And, you know, I mean, you talk about like restaurants, you know, restaurants and bars and everything else. It's just been, uh, it's just been, like you say, every day it's, it's a, it's a new adventure. Um, You know, what do you guys, you know, John, like I said, you know, you're the next town over, you live in my, in in the town that we live in together here in Easton. Um, How did you do, like, how did, how did you make everything either seem smooth or how did you what you know where did you go were there any places that you went that helped guide you is this just a you know just came just came naturally to you like what said, what what's the secret sauce with uh with how everything's gone for you um i think one of the funniest uh phrases that i've heard way back in the early days uh of this whole thing uh was the uh commissioner of education when folks were asking questions about how are we going to make this work? Uh, And this is like before we were even talking about closures, this was, you know, um, I don't even know what the world was like then, but, but in the early days, how are we going to make this work? And the commissioner said, um, well, I trust that you all can use your superintendent magic. Mm -hmm. So So there there it is. I have a wand and uh and some sprinkle dust and i'm using superintendent magic no seriously Mm -hmm. i am incredibly fortunate and uh incredibly grateful for the team of people around me first in my own district uh i've got just unbelievably dedicated uh very smart very caring folks so our our close close team the director of facilities uh, and the director of nursing, my uh, assistant superintendent and I have been meeting every single day. Um, and as things change, you know, that core team is the one that gives advice on do this, try this, you know, whatever. They're in touch with other facilities directors and, and the association, uh, the Department of Public Health and our mass uh, partners and all that. So they keep bringing back information uh, and as things adjust, that core group has been talking uh, nonstop. Then as things got um, more tricky, superintendents started reaching out to each other. Uh, and so we've had, uh, we have a South Shore Superintendents Association group and then a smaller group of, of those folks who talk to each other about snow days. Uh, those groups have been uh, meeting almost every day uh, and giving advice on some of the trickier subjects, such as special education, how do we pay people, um, how do we deal with continuity of learning experiences. So there's been a ton of conversation back and forth among superintendent groups uh, locally, 
some statewide, but the local groups have been absolutely incredible. Uh, and a lot of that is listening to folks, you know, I'm new, so I'm listening to, to the veterans and hearing their advice and what they've done with other difficult situations in the past. And we're uh, learning from each other and trying to stick together with best practice as much as we can. Uh, that in Massachusetts is a little tricky because we are 351 little fiefdoms, uh, you know, in a state our size, when you look nationally, people look at our state as this little mini sized state, but we've got 351 cities and towns and they all work independent of each other. So each school uh, committee, school district is making their own decisions. There's not county or regional kinds of things. So uh, it, it's absolutely critical that we're on the phone with each other and on these Zoom calls and uh, go to meeting calls all the time to check in with each other and make sure we're on the same page. John, you're also, uh, you know, you're, John's to, you know, to his credit, he's also an amazing communicator. And I think that's helped him in that community you know, immensely, just sending out a message. And even the message he's sending out to people is kind of uplifting and fun. You yeah. don't have to always send the gloom and doom. You know, you have to send a message, have to have some good communication, but use social media to have a little fun with it because everyone could use a little uplift in this time. We're all freaking out. Um, anxiety is an all-time high. So John's team's really good about getting the information out, but also getting it out in a way that's going to make people feel yeah, we've, we've got this. Our, our, our yeah. leaders got this under control. We're going to roll with it. The sun's going to come up to the east tomorrow. Um, the two takeaways that I got from a, from a leadership perspective was when we were talking about communicating, you said something a couple of times, which is listening. Um, you know, as leaders, we have to do a lot more listening than talking in these times. And then the second thing that I caught, um, you made a reference to you being new. And I think what every leader in, in, in any capacity that's dealing with this right now is we're all new. None of us have gone through a coronavirus right. experience. So this is uncharted waters. So what worked in Y2K or 9-11 or MERS, SARS, Ebola, swine, bird flu, um, any of those things, this is, this is completely different, the word, you know, unprecedented. And uh, we all have to kind of look at that with a, with a pair of new glasses opposed to being, mm -hmm. you know, this experienced person that knows it all. Um, you know, Kenny, what do you, you got any, any uh, parting thoughts or ideas or suggestions? How could people, and, and furthermore, I know that you're focused on Massachusetts. I know you're talking to people all around the country. You know, I know that you've got a very active listserv with your members. One of the most active listservs that I've ever heard about. Uh, you know, I always hear, hear our clients talk about how they're putting questions out there and everything else. You know, what do you suggest, uh, people and just in facilities in general should be, who should they be reaching out to? How should they, how could they reach out to you and uh, any parting, parting thoughts here? Uh, well, I mean, just like any, any, any good leader, I mean, listening is a huge piece. Like you mentioned, I was just on a phone call with Keith Gorlay yesterday, who's the executive director for New Jersey school buildings grounds. Cause I want to compare notes with him. You know, I'm going to call up to New Hampshire, find out what they're doing get a good benchmark of what everyone around here is doing to figure out are we doing it right? Are we not? The biggest learning lesson that I've taken from this event, which we've all known, especially in facilities department, we continue to underfund facilities and operations. So right now, everyone's using electrostatic disinfectant sprayers. 
And for folks that don't know what they are, it's this small little handheld or it's a backpack thing that, that you can put a disinfectant product in. It puts an electric charge into the disinfectant. And when you spray it, it completely wraps around whatever you're spraying it on. So if you're spraying it onto a door handle, it covers all sides of the door handle. You know, so it's about, you know, 700 to $1,500 per unit. Two years ago, these came to the market, and I know hundreds of facilities directors that went to their business managers and said, hey, here's this new tool. It's going to help us reduce the flu. It's going to help us do this, do that. I'd really like to buy a dozen of them to spread them out in our district. And what was the response? We can't afford it. We can't afford it. Oh, we have to cut back. We can't afford it. Well, now, you know, flash forward two years, you can't even buy them. So mm -hmm. if you don't have them in your district, you're dead in the water until potentially May or June. So your disinfecting is all by hand now. So you've taken these tools that are going to help keep these buildings healthy, and we continue to cut and chop our facilities department because it seems to be the sacrificial lamb. So if nothing else during this whole horrible, horrible process we're all living through, it should hopefully bring us back to reflect on how are we budgeting maintenance? How are we budgeting cleaning? Are we cleaning our buildings appropriately? You know, mm -hmm. how can we hopefully stave off some of this stuff from happening in the future? What can we do planning now to prepare for the next one? Because it's going to come. We know it's going to come. We mm -hmm. had the H1N1. We had the SARS. We had the this. We had the that. This is the new one. This mm -hmm. one's horrible. It's really bad. We're going to have another one. After this mm -hmm. dust settles, there's going to be another one. So how do we take this as a learning lesson to be prepared better next time around? And that's what I'm, I'm seeing in every state where I talk with folks is that the underfunding of, of our custodial services, of our cleaning services, of our equipment, and of our maintenance of our buildings is really showing how, how our funding strategy is broken for public buildings. Yeah, and that's one of those things that I always, you know, kind of try to get people to realize that they need to benchmark and they need to capture what they're doing because a lot of the stuff that's going on right now, they're not doing that. They're just, it's a knee jerk. We're doing all the work and then we get, past all of this and you're sitting in a room and people forget how much work was needed, how much time was needed, how many people were needed, you know, gallons of spray were needed. The electrostatic sprayers, I heard the story, uh, not just from you about that, that people have been asking for them and they're not, they, they weren't able to get them. And now you need them and you can't get them. So making there was, sure that you're... there was one used one on eBay. Um, normally it costs 650 bucks. I think the last time I saw the bid, it was up to close to three grand. Wow. For a used one. So that's nice. You can get mm. it there. Yeah. So uh, I, you, you guys can't see all the people driving behind you looking at us like, what the hell are these guys doing? Oh, yeah. I, well, there was a carload of people with masks on that looked like I thought they were going to actually rob me. Uh, it was like kind of a strange, <laughs> it's kind of a strange pull up. But uh, uh, and here we are in, in sweet suburban Boston. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, so how do people get a hold of you, Ken? Um, you can go to our website. It's uh, massfacilities.com. My email address, contact information is up there. It's exec at massfacilities.com. Uh, we've got some uh, really good tools up there. Some, every time I get something new from CDC, every time I get something new from our state, we're posting it to the website, posting it up there. We're trying to get our information from the source versus trying to just latch on to some of the misinformation that's out there. And yep. even though I'm Massachusetts-based, and even if you're not a member, it takes a village. So if you have a question, you have a query, give me a call, give me a holler. I'm happy to see if I can help out in any way that I can. Got plenty of time at home now. So yep. I, I have an opportunity to have some uh, uh, screen time to try and help out the, the larger community. Absolutely. Put it to work. Well, 
really appreciate your time, John. Really appreciate your time uh, looking over at you here. And, uh, you know, if, and I would say at Stoughton Public Schools, uh, you guys have a pretty good Twitter presence as well as you as the superintendent that uh, if, if, if uh, uh, an institution, education, non-education wants to see how to, uh, to leverage tools like Twitter and social media, I think you guys are doing a phenomenal job sharing and, and also providing what Kenny said, it's not just fun, it's, it's hope and love. I mean, your, your staff, mm. your team, and your community, really, that, that's a, something you really get a sense of. So uh, keep up the phenomenal work. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, socially distance meet me here in the parking lot. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, this, hopefully this is something that uh, folks enjoyed and maybe get a few minutes to themselves and, and, and visualize what we're doing here and the efforts that are being tried to, try to make. So... Um, Thanks, Any parting thank words? You for, no. Thank you for putting this together. I think it's it's great, and I think, as you say, uh, the 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 idea that we're all in this together, and therefore the communication piece, and reaching out to each other, and listening to what uh, what other folks are doing, and taking good ideas, um, it, it is huge. And I'm never with either one of you guys where I don't get a new idea and say, "Oh yeah, let me go share that with with my people." So I think the more that people can reach out and see what others are doing. I think the better and folks are absolutely welcome to check out our, uh, our website. We've got tons of learning opportunities uh, for kids all over the place, uh, K to 12, pre-K to 12. And uh, we're happy to share anything we've developed with anybody out in the country. So come on over. Awesome. Well, thanks guys. That'll do it from here. You stay thanks, safe, Josh. keep up the great work. And uh, I really appreciate you guys being part of my village and, and helping the way that you do keep, keep it up and always here. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to the operate intelligently podcast produced by dude solutions. You can reach us by emailing dspodcast at dude or check us out on the web at dude